This podcast is from Christian Chapel in Tulsa, Oklahoma. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com. We're in the middle of a message series here at Christian Chapel called The Lazarus Life. So the story of Lazarus is found in John chapter 11 and 12, and it's a story of resurrection ultimately, but before that, it's a story of sickness, it's a story of death, it's a story of unanswered prayers and unmet expectations. It's a story of why do bad things happen to good people? Why do bad things happen to people who know Jesus? Why does Jesus uh, not always work on our time frame or do what we want the way we want it? And so Lazarus' story really kind of invites us to ask these questions and to consider the answers that are given to us in John chapter 11 and 12. So whether you've been with us in person or you've been with us online, um, you know where we are. If if this may be your first time with us since we started preaching through this, I'll I'll catch you up to where we are in the story. So in John chapter 11, Lazarus is Jesus' buddy. He's a guy that he knows well, he knows his family well, and Lazarus is sick, and it seems like it's, it's so serious they're afraid he's going to die. So Lazarus has two sisters named Martha and Mary, and Martha and Mary send a messenger to Jesus who seems to be fairly close by, letting him know, Lord, the one you love, Lazarus, your friend, your buddy, is sick. When Jesus hears the message, his first response is, this sickness will not end in death. So for the messenger, for the disciples, I'm sure they're all expecting, okay, we're about to head over and see Lazarus be healed, as we've seen so many other people be healed. And it says Jesus makes this statement, and then he stays where he was two more days. Now, in those two days, Lazarus dies. And as we looked at uh, last week, we know that uh, when Lazarus dies, Jesus isn't scared. He's not afraid, but it's actually part of his plan. So he tells the disciples, hey, we need to go back um, because Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there. And so where we're picking up the story this morning is when Jesus arrives on the outskirts of Bethany and Martha, the sister of Lazarus, leaves the house to come out and meet him. And Martha says a couple things to Jesus, but we're really going to focus on two words that she says this morning. She says, even now, right? And, and so what we'll see is that Martha's experience is my experience, it's your experience. There are going to be times in life where you're disappointed with Jesus. There's going to be times in life where you feel like God let you down. There's going to be moments where you had a plan and God acted like he didn't care. There's going to be times where you're low, where you're sad, where you're depressed, where you're hurting. But because of the resurrection that we're celebrating today, we'll see as we work through this passage that we, like Martha, can say, even now, I know that Jesus is here. Even now, I know that Jesus has a plan. So we'll pick up the story in John chapter 11, verse 17. It'll be here on the screens for you. It says, on his arrival... Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. So Martha and Mary, their story where we pick it up today, it, it comes in that moment when it's, it's just over. Right? Lazarus was sick, but now Lazarus is dead. They have watched him die. They have prepared his body. They've wrapped him in his burial clothes. They have laid him in the tomb. They've watched it be sealed. They have welcomed friends and family who've traveled to mourn and to grieve with them. And in this moment, it seems like everything is lost. Sending a messenger to Jesus didn't help. 
The prayers they prayed were not answered. The promise Jesus made, it seems like he didn't keep that this sickness would not end in death. We've all found ourselves, I think, in those those moments like Martha and Mary where you have had to admit once and for all, it's over. There's no life here. Maybe it was the the breakup text from a boyfriend to girlfriend. And you've got the proof right there. It is over. And no matter what you text back to them, all they text back is, it is over. Right? Maybe they even tell you, like, this relationship is as dead as Lazarus, but Jesus is not coming. He is not showing up. We are over. We are done, right? It's over. As a student, it's that moment where you studied, you worked, and you had to get the right grade on the final to pass the class, and you did not get the right grade on the final. And you're confronted with the reality of it's over. And there's no hope left in this moment. It's, it's the space maybe where a spouse says to you it's over. And they pack up and they walk out. It's when the divorce papers are final. Maybe like Mary and Martha, it's when you're standing at the cemetery mourning the loss of someone you love and thinking, how am I ever going to recover from this? It's the day at the job where they tell you your position's been eliminated. It's the day the house is foreclosed on. It's when the doctor says the treatments aren't working. We just need to talk about what's come, what comes next. We all have these spaces. We've all had these times where it seems like the last glimmer of hope has been crushed. And in that space, we feel a lot of things. We feel anger. We feel frustration. We feel sadness. We feel despair. You feel that darkness. But more than experiencing these emotions, you, you actually physically feel the finality of the moment. You feel the weight on your shoulders. You feel it settle in your soul. You feel it in your bones. You carry it with you everywhere you go, knowing that thing I hoped for, that thing I longed for, that thing I, sh- I was sure God was going to do. Not only did it not happen, but there's no chance it's ever going to happen. And in that space, it's really hard. It's really difficult. That's where Mary and Martha find themselves. They knew Jesus. Jesus shows up. But it seems like he's a day late and a dollar short. Just like, man, Lord, if you just would have come earlier. So the, the first thing we see is that when we think it's over, we act different. Now, Mary and Martha, this is not the first time Jesus has visited their home in Bethany. In fact, if you look back in Luke chapter 10, uh, we'll read in just a moment this story. Jesus and his disciples are passing through Bethany. And in this situation in Luke 10, Mary and Martha act according to their character, according to their personalities. They, They play out who they are, and everyone can see it and everyone can acknowledge it. So in Luke chapter 10, we find this quick story. It says, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, He came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few are needed or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. Now, when we work through this passage or teach it, maybe you've heard it before, uh, usually there are titles given. Martha is the worker and Mary is the worshiper, right? Maybe another way to understand it is Martha is the firstborn, Mary is the baby, right? Any babies in the room? Go ahead, raise your hands, be honest. Yes, okay. Uh, So you know you're spoiled and entitled, right? 
just kind of, kind of everybody understands that. Like, uh, I have a baby sister, and I know life was so much easier for her, right? I have a little baby girl right now that's the youngest of three, and she gets away with all kinds of things that her brothers never would. So when we tell this story, though, we're normally not focusing on, like, look at Mary slacking off. We actually give it a really positive spin, right? Look at Mary worshiping Jesus, just sitting at his feet. Be Mary. That's the message over and over again, right? Don't be Martha. Martha is so busy, so focused, such a, such a type A personality that not only is she mad at Mary, but she yells at Jesus. <laughs> Jesus, tell her to help me. Right, this is how Mary and Martha act. This is, this is who they really are. Martha's the worker. She's the industrious one. She's the one who understands the cultural expectations of when you have a group of guests in your home, you do anything you can to make them feel welcome. So she's busy around the house, right? Martha is your grandma on Christmas Day, and Mary's your uncle. <laughs> Just watching football on the couch, right? Some, it's Easter Sunday. I know some of you got big lunch plans today, and, and mom's going to be busy, and dad might be busy, but there's that one family member who's supposed to be busy, right? And on Easter, there's not even football to watch. So I, I don't know what you watch on Easter, but you find a way, right? You're just like eating the eggs that your kids got in the morning. And, and it's just all of these. But this is who Mary and Martha are. Martha works. Mary just wants to be with Jesus. And, and Jesus actually honors Mary for it. And he says, no, 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 she's chosen what is better. She just wants to be in my presence. Mary seems to be the person who has a, an extra motivation to worship, an extra motivation to be in the presence of Jesus. And all of that makes their response when Lazarus dies striking. Martha, the one who will always do her job. We're told that when Lazarus dies, they just live a couple miles from Jerusalem. And so their house is full of mourners who've traveled from Jerusalem to grieve the loss of Lazarus with them. Well, again, this is Martha's home. She's the firstborn. It's her responsibility to help welcome them, to feed them, to be there and let them mourn with her and for her. And yet when Martha hears that Jesus is coming, what does she do? She leaves and goes to the outskirts of town to meet him. In that moment, Martha acts different. She decides, I'm not going to be bound by the cultural expectations. I'm not going to be held back by what other people expect of me. I'm going to see Jesus. And then Mary. Mary, the one who just wants to sit at Jesus' feet. Mary, the one who just wants to be in his presence. Mary, the one who seems to have the purest heart of all of them. What does Mary do? It says, Mary stayed home. We don't know, maybe she didn't get the word. Maybe Martha pulled rank. You know, like, hey, remember last time? Remember Luke 10, Mary? You're staying home. We don't know. All we know is that Mary, who previously doesn't really care what people think, she just wants to be with Jesus. Now Jesus is really near and she decides, I'm not going. I'm just going to stay here. When we think that things are over in life, when we're disappointed with God, when we're frustrated or aggravated with our circumstance, we act different. And not always in a good way. Right? I don't know very many people who would stand up and say, you know, you know when I'm at my best? When life is bad and unexpected. Right? Unexpected situations bring unexpected reactions. Nobody wakes up in the morning and thinks, you know, today is the day. Today's the day I completely lose it at work. I think I'm going to throw some stuff, right? I might, I might maybe start a fire, 
Uh, nobody does that. But why, why do we react in these ways? Because when your boss comes and says you're fired, you're like, I'll show you fire, right? And so you, you just have these reactions that come out. And you see it again and again in all kinds of spaces in your life where the, the calm, cool, collected person, something happens unexpectedly and suddenly they are flying off the handle over here. Right? Or the person who's always the Martha, the industrious one, the let's get it done, I've got a plan, I've got to go from here to there, we've got to check the boxes. Grief strikes and suddenly they are just like a prisoner in their own home. They can't get up, they can't move, they can't do anything. The thoughtful one becomes the reckless one. The planned one becomes the impulsive one. The loving one becomes the hateful one. In these moments, we're going to react in unexpected ways because we didn't expect what we're going through to happen. But what Lazarus' story is teaching us is when we react in these ways, no matter how we react, Jesus still shows up. Right? When Martha comes, Jesus isn't like, Martha, go home. You got a house full of people. Me and the disciples, we, we came because we know about your bread. Right? Can you go cook it? Can you get ready? Like, he doesn't do that. What's he do? He just, he interacts with her right where she is. And then when he notices Mary isn't there, as we keep reading farther in the story, it says, then they go back and they tell Mary, hey, the Lord is asking for you. Jesus noticed Mary didn't act according to her character. She didn't do the things that he would have expected her to do, but he's not put off by it. He's not angered by it. Instead, it causes him to move towards her even more. See, in these situations, no matter how we react, Jesus moves toward us. When we're frustrated, when we're aggravated, when we have done things we're ashamed of, none of that means that he's going to stop moving towards us. We also learn from Martha and Mary that when, when we think it's over, we can be honest. So Martha goes to the outskirts of town. She meets Jesus. And the first thing out of her mouth is not, Lord, thanks for coming. It's not, I believe you're the son of God. It's not any of these kinds of things. She says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And Martha voices her frustration. She voices her aggravation. Later, when Jesus meets Mary, Mary repeats the exact same thing, word for word. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Have you ever been around family members that uh, they say the same thing? Like husbands and wives, who they're just, they're phrases that just roll off their tongue. Right? Like for Angie and I, we've got a couple in our family of like, you're fine. Like, that's just, you know, if we see you fall down, no matter if you're 5 or 85, we'll be like, hey, I think you're fine. Let's get up. Let's get up. Let's see. Shake that, move that leg. Yeah, oh, no, you're not fine. Uh, you know, but, but it's just you're fine. You, you've got some of these, right? Uh, some of you, maybe it's like failure to plan is planning to fail. Parents just say it over and over again. Maybe, you're, maybe it's you get what you permit, right? And you, so we've just got these little sayings that kind of roll off our tongue. Well, typically, the more we say them, the more they're ingrained in our heart, the more they're ingrained in our mind. So it's not coincidence that the first statement Mary and Martha make to Jesus is, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. What's it tell us? It tells us that when Lazarus was sick, Mary and Martha were saying over and over again, if we can just get Jesus here, if we can just get Jesus here, if Jesus will just come see Lazarus, if he'll just come lay his hands on Lazarus, if he'll just come, if we can just get him here, we know Lazarus will be healed. And then when Lazarus dies and, and is buried, the conversation shifts. And, and for four days, the conversation becomes, if Jesus had just been here, if Jesus had just showed up, if he just would have left when the messenger first arrived, if he just would have acted with a little more 
urgency. Right? And, and we all have these if Jesus just would have moments. Or you've got them, I've got them. If Jesus just would have showed me that that relationship was a bad idea, it would have saved me all kinds of heartache. If, if Jesus just would have revealed to me that this job was not the place I should be, it would have, it would have preserved so much of my character. If Jesus would have just intervened on the behalf of my loved one who was sick, I wouldn't be suffering their loss. If Jesus would have just acted in my marriage, it wouldn't have ended. If Jesus would have just captured the heart of my child, I wouldn't be estranged from them today. If Jesus would have just healed me, I wouldn't be suffering. We have all of these moments and more of where we're saying, Lord, if you would have, because we know you could have. And what we learn from Mary and Martha, and it's especially meaningful to us on Easter, is it's okay for us to express that frustration to Jesus. Frustration and faith are not enemies. Right? If you're frustrated, it doesn't mean you don't have faith. And if you have faith, it doesn't mean you won't be frustrated. Again and again and again in the scriptures, we see men and women full of faith who are frustrated with the Lord, frustrated with their situations, aggravated that things are not going as they had planned on them going. And like Mary and Martha, we can stand before the Lord and just say, Lord, if you would have. Now, there's two ways to, to hear Mary and Martha's statement. You can hear it as a rebuke where they're trying to, you know, Lord, if you would have. But I think a, a more appropriate understanding of what they're saying is it's a lament. It's just an expression of regret. It's an expression of grief. They're not trying to tell Jesus how to do his job. We see it in the phrases that, that follow after they make this statement. But they're both acknowledging, Lord, we believe if you had been here, things would have been different. And we're not sure why you weren't. Right? In that moment, it's perfectly acceptable for you to express that frustration. The Lord already sees it in your heart. He sees it in your mind. He hears it coming out of your mouth when you talk to your family and friends. You can express it to him as well. Lord, I wish this was different. But in that space, your frustration doesn't mean your faith doesn't exist, but you do have to be careful that your frustration doesn't cancel your faith completely. Where you begin to believe, well, if I, if I was really a person of faith, if Jesus was really real, I wouldn't suffer, I wouldn't hurt, I wouldn't, I wouldn't experience any of this. The story of Lazarus is one that's given to us so we understand even people who personally know Jesus suffer. To follow Jesus, to experience the power of the resurrection is not to be exempt from suffering. We celebrate Easter Sunday, but we also observe Good Friday. We remember the description of Jesus as a man of sorrows, familiar with suffering. Right? He knew what it was because he knew we would go through those seasons and through those situations. And so if you find yourself today in a space where you're saying, I don't know why Jesus didn't do that. I don't know why he didn't do this. I don't know why I'm still going through that. What I want to encourage you with this morning is you're not the first, the last, or the only to be there. Others have walked that path. Others have, have navigated that road of frustration and faith. And Martha gives us this, this perfect example. She stands before Jesus and she says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But as that last word rolls off her lips expressing her frustration, her heart begins to swell with faith. And the next statement is, but even now, even now, and what's Martha's now? Martha's now is grief, it's loss, it's suffering, it's uncertainty over the future, it's, it's pain, it's heartache, it's frustration, it's aggravation. What she say? Even 
now. I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Martha has an incomplete understanding of who Jesus is at this time, as, as do his disciples and everyone else. They haven't yet witnessed his death and resurrection. They they understand he has a special connection to God, but they maybe don't fully understand that he is God. So Martha's expression is important. We'll get to the even now in a moment, but what I want to draw your attention to first is that statement, God will give you whatever you ask. Martha's hope when Jesus shows up is not that she will finally get her way. She doesn't say, even now, I'm finally going to get what I want. Even now, Jesus, you're late, so you owe me. Right? Even now, I'll feed you, but first, fix this. Shouldn't do any of that. What should she say? Even now, God will give you whatever you want. In her grief, in her doubt, in her uncertainty, in her frustration, Martha still recognizes there's something special about Jesus. And because he's there, she has hope. Right? She's teaching us what we're being reminded of on Resurrection Sunday is that hope arrives when Jesus shows up. Now, for Martha, Jesus is physically present in front of her. And, and for many of us, it's, it's easy to think, yeah, if, if Jesus physically showed up right here in the middle of my mess, I would have hope too. But what we're remembering on Resurrection Sunday is our experience of the presence of Jesus is every bit as real as Martha's on that day that she can reach out and touch him. And in many ways, our experience of Jesus is actually more powerful than Martha's experience on that day. Because what the scriptures teach us is not just that Jesus rose from the dead, but they tell us the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead now dwells in me, now dwells in you. And all who put their faith in Christ, the resurrected Christ lives in us. And so he's in the middle of our situation, full of resurrection power. This is what, this is what separates Christianity from every other religion in the world. You know, when Martha shows up, she's not saying, Lord, even now I have hope because we have some really profound religious traditions. Even now I have hope because I have the Holy Scriptures. Even now I have hope because you're a great teacher. Even now I have hope because you're a role model for how to go through grief. This is all every other religion can offer you. Here's some scriptures, here's some guidelines, here's some principles, here's a role model. Only Christianity says, here's a resurrected Savior who lives in you. Hope is not abstract. Hope is a person, and hope is personal. It comes in the power and the presence of Jesus Christ. And so Martha's even now moment becomes our even now moment, where we can say, yes, even now. Whatever your now might be, even now, Jesus is present and Jesus has a plan. Now, now that idea of even now, is it's easy for us to agree to in theory, it's really easy for me to agree with over your life, right? Hey, whatever you're going through, even now, God has a plan. Job loss, even now, yeah, no problem, while I'm fully employed. In sickness, yeah, even now, while I'm healthy. Singleness, yeah, even now, while I'm married. Barrenness, even now, while I have kids. In all of these things, right, it's easy to encourage others when you're not in the same situation they're in. Like, yeah, you know what you need? You need a little faith. But when you're on the other side of that, now is a little more personal. Now is a little more powerful. When you're Martha, having buried your brother, now is a really strong word. Encapsulates all kinds of things. So 
So let me help you try to picture what this might look like this morning, okay? So uh, let's not think of generic nows, let's think of personal nows. So you're even now, you carry around with you all the time. All right, so I don't, I don't know what now might be. Now might be your marriage is busted. Now might be a child is estranged. Now might be you're broke and you don't know if you're going to keep the house. Now might be depression that never leaves. Now might be opportunities that are not developing. Now might be physical pain. Now might be mental anguish. Now might be just relational trauma and drama. But here's the thing, when it's your now, it's personal. Like you, you never just kind of sit back and you're like, yeah, even now, I think God can work there. Right? When it's your now, you're, you're carrying it around. And I really wished this morning that I would have got a smaller box. <laughs> but then I thought, no, that's, that's actually best, right? Because now is heavy. Now is all-encompassing. Everywhere I go, I carry my now with me. Every conversation you want to have with me, I hear through my now. Every promise you tell me the scriptures have, it comes through the now. And I'm saying, well, not now. Yeah, peace and joy, not now, not here. But what is Martha teaching us? She's teaching us we take our now. No matter how big, no matter how hard, no matter how difficult, no matter how uncertain, no matter how all-encompassing, no matter how debilitating, we take our now and we bring it right to Jesus and we just say, okay, Lord, even now. Even right here, I'm going to set this down, I'm going to rest, I'm going to relax, and I'm, just, I'm going to be fully present, and I'm going to believe you are the God of my current reality. And this is what the resurrection is really all about. It's not about, hey, Jesus is resurrected, go meet him on the mountaintop. It's Jesus is resurrected, and he meets you in your now. So you don't have to pretend this is anything other than what it is. If you hurt, say you hurt. If you're mad, say you're mad. If you're depressed, say you're depressed. If you're sick, say you're sick. And what the scriptures teach us again and again and again and again is Jesus comes to us in the now. He's the God of right here. He's the God of right now. He's the God of this moment. He has a purpose and a plan for it. And so Martha's statement, even now, when we stop to think of everything her now encompasses, it's really big, it's really powerful, it's really strong. But he's not just the God of the even now. Our, our even now includes our even ifs and our even wins. All right, so he's the God of our realities. He's also the God of our possibilities. So let's say, some of you, how many of you are what if people? What if this happens? What if the worst happens, right? You're Enneagram type sixes and fives and ones. And you just, you live your life in an even-if world. You know, really what you live your life in is a what-if world. What if, what if I lose the job? What if my retirement's not enough? What if my spouse stops loving me? What if I don't get into that school? What if I don't make that team? What if I get hurt? What if someone gets sick? What if they get injured, right? We live in the world of the what-ifs. And, and sometimes those what-ifs are, are realistic things to be concerned with, and sometimes they're just wild things that come in. When, um, when we, Angie and I, had our, our first son, so we, we lived in Springfield, Missouri. I was in my last semester of seminary, and there were, there were a lot of what-ifs, right? I mean, for, for Angie, it was like, what if I'm not a good mom? For me, it was like, what if I don't get a job when I graduate? What if I'm the bum that all my friends talk about? 
what if I'm the one whose wife has to work full-time while I stay? You know, there's all of these, like, what-if kind of moments. And, and then Angie, those, that first week especially, she had some really um, interesting what-ifs. And so we, we figured out after a couple days that, um, you know, the, the postpartum emotions, those were a very real thing. And Angie would cry at 5 o'clock every night. So just, I mean, like, we didn't even have to look at the clock. You could look at her face. And if the tears were coming down, it's like, oh, so it's 5. Um, <laughs> You know, but, but we didn't figure that out for a couple of days. So I remember the, the first day asking her, like, hey, honey, what's wrong? And she's, she's holding Connor and, you know, a little couple-day-old baby. And she goes, what if he doesn't have friends when he goes to school? Like that. That's what we're worried about right now? Uh, we'll homeschool. Next problem, right? Um, I'll be his friend. You'll be his friend. It'll be fine. Uh, so, so then the next night, 5 o'clock, she starts crying. Honey, what's wrong? What if he gets cancer? And in that one, I'm like, what if he gets cancer? I don't know, right? And, and then we just, we just have this moment of like, what if? And, and each night, there, there were these fears that would come, but they were all what if fears. What if this happens? What if that happens? And it happens in big ways, and it happens in small ways. This morning, I was, uh, I was getting some tables from up in our youth center before the first service and bringing them down. And I, I went to get one, and I put it on the elevator. And as I was getting the second one to put on the elevator... My plan was to get on the elevator with them, but I had this thought, what if I get stuck in the elevator on Easter Sunday morning? <laughs> was it based in reality? Not at all. Has anyone ever been stuck at the elevator at Christian Chapel? Maybe once or twice, but I mean, not, not recently, not since we had a service, right? It wasn't really a real thing, but it was real enough that I pushed the button to send the tables down and I took the stairs. <laughs> this is like, I, I, don't, I don't need that right now. I don't need that this morning. There's a lot of things to do, right? But we're, we're what if kind of people. And the reason we're what if kind of people is because we can't control the future. We can't control every outcome. And so we're just constantly asking what if. Well, if, if even now is who we are and even now is our experience, then it means our what ifs have to turn into even ifs. Even if it happens, Jesus will be there and Jesus will have a plan. Right? It's, it's one of the, the best tools you can use. So if, if you're somebody who's tormented by these what-if questions, is you've got to sit in it and you've got to just walk it out to its logical conclusion. Okay, what if my kid doesn't have friends? What if they do get cancer? What if I do lose the job? What if I get stuck in the elevator? What am I going to do when all these things happen? And if you walk all the way to the very end of every one of those what-ifs, as a follower of Christ, you should be able to say, even if. Even if it happens, Jesus will be present, Jesus will be powerful, and Jesus will have a plan. Even if the relationship ends. Even if you lose custody. Even if the house is foreclosed on. Even if you don't get the promotion. Even if you don't finish school. Even if the friends never come back even if the loneliness persists, even if the depression is heavy, even if in every single one of these moments Jesus will be present and Jesus will be powerful, even if my ifs become my nows, Jesus will be there and Jesus will be enough. So he, he's the God of our reality. He's the God of our possibilities. But he's also the God of our inevitabilities. All right, so, so the last one we want to think about this morning is even when. Right, even when bad things happen. Because even if we can talk ourselves out of some of those, but even when 
these are the things that are coming for all of us. Jesus told us what some of our wins are. He told us, you know, even when the world hates you, because it hated me first. Even when you're rejected, even when relationships end, even when you suffer, even when you know hardship, even when you know difficulty, even when you go through the dark night of the soul and you feel like you don't hear his voice or sense his presence. Even when you sin and you experience the consequences and you know there's, there's no one to blame but me. There's no one to blame but my choices, but my actions. Even when you go into these experiences, what the scriptures teach us is Jesus will be there and Jesus will be powerful and Jesus will have a plan. So whatever your reality, whatever your possibility, whatever your inevitability, he's going to be there at the graveside. He's going to be there in the darkness. He's going to be there in the doubt. He's going to be there in the depression. He's going to be there in the loss. As followers of Jesus, we are even now people. No matter what is happening, no matter what I'm going through again and again and again and again, we're going to join our voice with Martha and we're just going to say, even now. Martha's statement is, even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Our statement is, even now, Jesus, I know you can do whatever you want. So I'm going to come to you in my grief. I'm going to come to you in my suffering. I'm going to come to you in my difficulty. The only thing we have to do to be an even now person is to place our faith, surrender our life to Jesus Christ. As he forgives our sins, he fills us with his new life. You can't become an even now person by reading more books or becoming more disciplined. You can't become an even now person by adopting better habits. You can only become an even now person when Jesus lives in you. And that's the promise of Easter Sunday. That's the promise of the resurrection. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead now dwells in you. Not because of who you are, not because of what you've done, not because you reacted appropriately or with righteousness, but because Jesus always shows up. He shows up in our frustration. He shows up in our anger. He shows up in our loss. He shows up in our hurt. And he's showing up again today. So even now, he can do what he wants. Even now, he's powerful. Even now, he has a plan. Will you stand with me? I want to pray for you this morning. If you'll bow your heads and close your eyes with me. Jesus, we come to you today with a desire to be even now people. Lord, we want a faith, an experience of your resurrection power that runs deeper than our circumstances. We don't just want the stories that our grandparents or parents have told us, Lord, but we want our own experience of you. We want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. We want to experience your life. We want to know your comfort, your hope, your joy, your peace. Lord, I pray especially for those today who, who may be in person or online with us who have never made that decision to surrender their lives to you. I pray today, Lord, that you would show them that you are their savior in every moment and every situation that you are powerful and you have a plan for them. Lord, I pray as they ask you to forgive their sins, they would experience the new life that you offer. Lord, I pray for others who are in the room who identify with Martha on the outskirts of Bethany, with Mary sitting in mourning in her house. And the hardships and difficulties of life have brought us to the moments of saying, Lord, if you just would have come earlier, 
Lord, will you come today and bring gifts of faith, encouragement, and hope? Will you begin to remind us that because you are here, we have hope that you are working. And because of your resurrection, we believe that you are powerful enough to achieve the plans you have for us. So Lord, today on Easter in 2021, will it be a day that you restore hope, that you restore joy? Will you speak over broken relationships? Will you speak into crushed spirits? Lord, will you speak into the darkness of hearts and minds this morning that you see us, you're with us, you're leading us and you're guiding us? Will the resurrection become not just a story we tell or we read, but the reality that we live by every day? Jesus, will you invade our world and enable us to say, even now, Jesus, we know you can accomplish your will. Even now, we know you see us, you love us, you care about us, and you have a plan. So even now, Lord, we will trust. Even now, we will persevere. Even now, we will wait for you to act. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christian Chapel. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com.